Welcome to Sometimes Dead is Better, and it's me, Kristen. And me, Chris. And we have a special guest again, Chris. Who is it? Kristen's brother. Yeah, Casey's back. Oh, he's on the couch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so Casey was on our Dawn of the Dead episode, and that was super fun. That was a lot of fun. And so he just had to come back for this particular movie. So Casey, tell us what movie, because this was your kind of idea. Well, I was talking to my friend, and he gave me this one and another movie to watch. And when I watched the first one, which was Mandy, I was like, those are two I'd never heard of. And I saw the trailer and it looked really kind of trippy and weird and it piqued my interest. And so I was kind of excited because nobody's given me a movie that I've never heard of one. It has, you know, Nick Cage is a big actor. You think you'd have heard of the movie. And well, then... <laughs> <laughs> what? I mean, these days he, he does a lot of directed video things. So. Yeah, that's true. That is true. That is true. But I, do, I mean that affectionately. I mean, God I, bless I, him. I do like your, well, <laughs> let me just chime in here real quick. <laughs> I'm sure there's a few that slipped in under my radar is my point. But Yeah. But yeah. But but so, so the teaser caught my attention and then I watched it and there's a few things in the visuals that I'd never seen before. And then it's just really crazy movie in general. So I thought it would be fun. Uh, even if we didn't like it, there's a lot to talk there's about. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah. I, I do believe you called me though and you said that you had been thinking about this movie nonstop. You'd asked me if I'd seen it. I hadn't. And I think you said, I can't decide if I love it or hate it, which I think is a very common feeling from people. And from, I'm still on the fence. So yeah, we should probably uh, let our listeners know that this is one of those movies that we just watched. I mean, yes. for the first time. Because Casey wanted to wait and watch it with us. Right. And so we all watched it together. So Casey's seen it three times. Yeah, which I think if all three combined probably accounts for one actual viewing. <laughs> well, but we we also kind of had it on twice last night. Right. We watched it and then we kind of had it on in the background again. So I think it's seeped in enough yeah, for we've, us to talk we've about slept it. On it. We slept, we slept on, on it. We slept on it. We hallucinated. <laughs> <laughs> we had crazy dreams. Right. Yeah. So, so we'll get all into that in a minute. But first, what have we all been watching? Shall I start? Sure. Okay. Well, upon your, um, not really recommendation, but your excitement, because you were talking about a lot, I watched the HBO um, miniseries, the I, I Will Follow You in the Dark. Is that I'll right? Be Gone in the Dark. Uh, okay. There's that Death Cab song, you know, I'll Follow You in the Dark. Oh, yeah. I'll, I love that song. Is that even the name of it? Anyway, it's not I'll Follow You into the Dark. Yeah, that's a good okay. song. Didn't mean you see them at the Alabama Theater? I think I was there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you were there too. Yeah. That's right. So, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Which, you know, usually the true crime thing is, is more your area for sure. But I was curious about it um, because you talked about it so much. Um, and it was fantastic. Not the best show to watch at 11 o'clock on Sunday before you, you know, just turn in for the week. <laughs> so it's, you know, about Michelle McNamara, who is um, a true crime enthusiast writer who mm-hmm. kind of, I mean, I know she didn't start all this craze, but she was kind of big into getting the sort of current phenomenon started back in what, the late 2000s probably? That first decade, yeah, uh, she had a famous blog or famous for true crime, you know, people and uh, yeah, yeah. She so she started True Crime Diary, which I read 
everything on that when and, I found it. Yeah, it was, and this, this is before, before like my favorite murder. This is before my favorite right. murder, and I found that. And like people in the documentary talk about it. I think Karen Kilgareth actually talks about it about how finding that kind of made her feel like, oh, I'm not alone. Like in my desire to learn about true crime. Right. That's how I felt. I found it before and I was like, oh my gosh, someone else is writing about this stuff and it's a woman and she writes so well. Now I'm taking over your, what no, you've no. been watching. Cause I just, I love no, it so Cause much. I can't explain as well as you can, but that I mean, was the plan anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so half the show is about Michelle herself and her family. And, oh, and, and sort they of, did that so well. And her they? journey. And she, you know, she died unexpectedly a few years ago. So, and at the time she was working on this book about the Golden State Killer, um, who, if you're following current events, you know, everyone knows he's now been arrested and has been, uh, I think he just pled guilty for like yeah. several uh, several of the murders. 13 uh, murders? Yeah. And like 50 rapes? I right. mean, but I, bad dude. Yeah. But the other half of the show is just the story, if that's the right word, of the Golden State Killer. Just the history of how that all went down, which I never but really... But telling it, also telling it through the victims. Right. And that, that was... Which was so empowering. Yeah. That was, that was the interesting part. Um which I never heard uh, any of that. I mean, I guess I've heard the phrase Golden State Killer, but probably only, probably only because I know you, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I had the same things. Like, how was this not the biggest story ever? Um, but it's kind of like, you know, the Ted Bundy thing. Like, you know, you know, law enforcement, it's not like they're all together, you know, in different cities, you know, working on the same case at the same time. It wasn't even apparent that these were the same cases. And then much less just how horrific that whole time must have been for those communities. I mean, I can't imagine living through that and not knowing, like, you know, they, they talked about how, you know, gun sales went up and people were buying locks and mm-hmm. just no one really knowing that, you know, any given night they could be home invaded by this lunatic at worst murdered, at best assaulted and raped. I mean, it's just terrifying. And that, that is just, well, it's just something you can just put up with in the neighborhood. Like, well, hope it doesn't happen to me tonight. I know, they I didn't, know. They didn't have ring. No. No. Um, yeah. And I just can't No I, cameras. He was seen a few times. It's, you know, he was seen by uh, one of his relatives. I remember that. That was pretty chilling. You know, coming. Yeah, home. well, there was a couple that saw him, and he chased them down and shot them. Right, but who knows who else? Uh, you know, that just was unreported. So anyway, I really, um, it was a great show. I really enjoyed it, if that's the right word. <laughs> and that was just so heartbreaking too that they finally catch him, which is a lot of her work, and she doesn't get to see it. And and Patton Oswalt, oh God, bless him for being in that documentary and being so open about it and sharing yeah. his life. Oh, yeah. Well, I think so he good. probably thinks he somehow maybe owes it to her to oh, for sure. carry well, he forward. Said that. The, he says that. Yeah. It's interesting that the Zodiac was so much bigger and he killed like what, five people? But I guess maybe it was uh, all the pomp he did. Like, yeah. Sending he, letters. He did a lot of pomp and circumstances <laughs> around. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, this guy and did- in a way that that supplements for the face because there is a you get you get a, a mindset. There's something that you can latch onto yeah. where this seems. Well, there's a famous like hood image in that. Yeah, yeah, and and also yeah. maybe which will kind of tie into Mandy and to our true crime. Will we? There's a, <laughs> with the Zodiac. You know, there's a bit of that like satanic type thing he wore the hood mm. and the cross and that probably was more interesting to people at that time I want another thing that I liked about the show and you've talked about this on the podcast before with Brian I remember was you know why are people interested in true crime at all like why is that a yeah. thing and she I like how Michelle kind of explained it it's like and she said, well, I don't know. Like, I, none, of these, none of these family members, I don't know them. I, I, this has no impact on my life, you know. And there's this vague hint of some trauma in her past that maybe she's right. going through. But 
Um, but I like her answers. Like, I don't know. I don't, I don't know the exact reasons why this is so fascinating to me, but it is. And this is what I'm going to So It seems like that, that was kind of an honest, but I like I how they had acknowledged that there's a slightly voyeuristic, maybe yeah, inappropriate yeah. thing to all this. And, and they sort of take that in and it doesn't stop them from what they want to do with uh, their fascination. It was just interesting. It was a, yeah. Liz Gabris who directed it, liked one of my tweets. That was very exciting. Excellent. I loved every time seeing the credits and seeing so many women's names, you know, the producers and stuff. That was really great. Cause this is, but the victims were mainly women, you know? And so it's nice that a woman tells their story and Michelle McNamara tells her story. It was just great. Well, what have you been watching Casey? Uh, I just got done watching Dave. It's an FXX show, mm-hmm. but you can get it on Hulu now. And it's just hysterical it's to me. It's the best show. I'm sorry. I'm taking over like everybody's it's what fine. you've been watching. <laughs> it's but fine. it's just so exciting. That first scene in the doctor's office, Brian and I just looked at each other. And we were like, what is this? This is amazing. <laughs> Where do I pay? That's what he says after. Oh, my gosh. That's great. Yeah, I've probably watched... And then I text you, have you seen Dave? And you're like, yeah, I've seen it like three or four times. Yeah, that's what I say. About three or four times I've seen... I just Sometimes I just let it run in the background. I haven't done that since uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. <laughs> when I lived in an apartment with my friend, it's like, you come in our house. So that was just always... That was like the default. I think maybe we didn't have cable at the time, so that was the DVD that was in, <laughs> and we wanted something on. But it was, so Dave is based on real guy named Dave Bird who is actually a rapper who goes by the name Lil Dicky because he has a little penis. And it's, and, and it's horribly deformed. Wait, all that's, <laughs> that's what he said. All yeah. that's real? Or? Yeah, yeah. He had a surgery when he was a kid or as, as a baby. Hyperstatia, the, look it up. <laughs> I mean, the persona that Dave Bird makes as Lil Dicky on the TV show is so good like it's just so nuanced like he gets to like the point of being like a complete asshole but it's enough or it's on the line and then somehow he still addresses black culture appropriation in a way i don't know it's so good (laughs) so good and it's hilarious so brian and i watched it all the way through and then we immediately just restarted it and watched it all the way through again even though it's a comedy show it's very real Yes. In, in in the sense of like, I mean, it, it's it's not just a goofy, funny show. Everything's oh, yeah. very, oh. no matter what you and like. FX makes the best shows to me that are perfect like that, where they can be completely silly and hilarious. And then all of a sudden they'll hit you with like a Gata episode. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, how do I feel? I feel things. And that's like the You're the Worst, which is another one of my favorite shows. And Baskets, both FX shows. The way they can make those shows and let these people... Yeah. create this stuff is so good I don't know what's going on at FX but they I mean even you go back to the Fargo reboots yeah um, I, I can't think of them Atlanta right now. is on yeah, there Atlanta's too. on there something got me to it actually it may have been a Louis C.K. thing that got me to it was Louis C.K. show oh Louis, got, that got Louis, me to FX and then Louis it seems was like, so good it seems like every single show from that point on that came out that I followed on FX like the next one that came, or actually I guess it was Always Sunny that got me over there really what have you been watching I watched Chernobyl. I binged that lovely piece of history. I love anything bleak. And, you know, I love a Scottish guard. <laughs> <laughs> Me and, too. <laughs> and, I mean, it was as wonderful as I thought it would be, especially with Jared Harris. He's so great. And Emily Watson is so great. And But it was just, it's another one of those things that was kind of weirdly timed. Like, like I had said in one episode... 
we started um, the Watchmen like very soon after George Floyd's murder, like after these protests started happening and it just like hit harder. So then I start Chernobyl after COVID. <laughs> the government is already lying about it and saying, no, it's fine. Everything's fine. I like, don't need to evacuate. And it just all that kind of hit home too. And I, I mean, I know in my back of my mind this happened in 86, but I, when you watch it, it's like, wait a minute, this, I was alive. They made up Emily Watson's character. Yeah, she was like a composite, right? Yeah. And it was also to kind of represent the fact that the Soviet Union at that time, for all their faults, that for some reason they really put stock in women going into science. And like there was some statistic that like in 1960, 40% of the PhDs given were to women, as opposed to even nowadays in the United States, only like 20% of science PhDs are given to women. So they really wanted to highlight the fact that there was all these women also working, even though they may not have been a main character in the actual story, but they represented it by Emily Watson's character, which I thought was great. That's cool. I can't keep, I always think back about the scene when the, when the town, when it first starts, uh, lighting up mm-hmm. and the townspeople come out and they're all just watching it and it's got the babies and the kids and the families and then everything I mean does it really turn to dust but it, it, it oh it's, it, they start to flame you're like you're just watching you're like all oh, those people are gonna yeah they're and they done say, they say later everyone who watched from the bridge died mm-hmm. that's crazy and the, the fact that the government is still trying to cover it up and say it's less than it was how they said that their their final tally is still only 31 people died you know, but, oh my goodness. But I also read a really interesting article that actually life is coming back there in Chernobyl and it's actually thriving. So there's all these animals and plants and it actually may be one of the few places that can be studied because there's absolutely no humans there. Brunson. Humans do go in to Chernobyl and it's become like a tourist attraction. It's like $200 to $300 a day and you get a tour, which I just think is a bit much like, like a I, tour a tour of what the town or the actual yeah facility? you get you, you a tour the you hospital get, does it include lunch <laughs> <laughs> now we'll transition into mandy because there have been a lot of dicks on tv lately i've noticed what? because <laughs> in chernobyl of course in chernobyl when it starts and it says like the warnings and it says nudity and I'm watching Chernobyl it's like this can't be good this isn't going to be good nudity <laughs> it's not going to be a romantic scene for no. sure <laughs> um, and it's like all those guys the, the coal miners they take off all their clothes oh, right, they're just right. a bunch of dicks oh, all yeah. over I like how that's your transition to Mandy's <laughs> dicks well because it also is like in Mandy then there is a guy with his dick out in midsummer you know you see full frontal yeah. male nudity there's just there's so much of it which I sure it's it's let's encourage it's, it. It's an art house thing. <laughs> yeah, it's not like it's anything that women are like excited about, but it's also, you know, why not make some men feel vulnerable, put them up there too. But I remember Brian said to me recently, we were watching something, and he said, "There's been a lot of dicks in this stuff we've been watching lately." And I was like, "Yeah, there has." I forget what else we were watching. Oh, the the great hmm. has a lot of nudity, and a lot of it is. Just like naked men. So usually we talk about what we've been drinking. Yeah. And we're doing that again. So this is a little bit unusual because I, again, had not seen this movie. And I didn't even really know what it was about. um, Which I didn't want to Wikipedia because I didn't want to give anything away. Um, So I went in even blinder than usual. Kristen suggested something about revenge. 
or Colts. yeah, or Nick Cage. <laughs> Blood. <laughs> right. So I found a wine called Ravage. Um, it's from California. Hey, and this movie may be in California. We don't really know. And that, it's I got filmed it, in Belgium, but it looks like California. Right. Definitely well, it looks says like it takes northern. place in the Shadow Mountains, which I googled, and they're in California. So yeah, Pacific Northwest, definitely. Yeah, so it's a perfect wine for the movie. Um, I, figured, I also like that when I came over, you said I got this. It's called Savage because I'm sure <laughs> something savage happens in the movie. Casey goes, well, it's called Ravage, actually. And you said, oh, I'm sure someone gets ravaged. <laughs> right. So it all worked out. Um, anyway, it's it's called Ravage. It's uh, uh, oh, so you go to ravagewines.com and you can look it up. It was really yummy. Yeah, it's really good. It's a dark, rich, full-bodied wine featuring layers of dark berry, luscious vanilla, and hints of mocha. And it's a Cabernet. So um, it was a good choice. We also got um, a ghost train beer because I was unclear whether there was maybe ghosts in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but that didn't really turn out to be the case. Um, so I guess we should um, somehow start talking about the movie. How do we want to... <laughs> well, so it's directed by Hanos Cosmatos. And his so his dad, George Cosmatos, directed Tombstone Yes. back in the day, which he got a job on, which I think Casey said, I wonder how he got that job. <laughs> <laughs> Trivia said that he paid for his first movie from royalties from his dad directing Tombstone. so. But isn't that just a fancy way of saying his dad paid for it? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, this appears to be his second He did the other, feature, the other movie that, yeah. that my friend recommended, which is like Beyond the Black Rainbow or something like that, and it's the same kind of style, yeah. which is... I haven't seen it, but it does say it also takes place in 1983, um, and has, it seems to have the same general vibe. Hmm. Okay, that's a good question. Why is this based in 1983, do you think? And also, it was, again, I don't want to overuse the word pretentious, but he put 1983 AD, like, yeah, no, no shit. <laughs> he just has to do with the general tone of it, you know, um, probably the same reason, you know, Stranger Things is focused on that, and um, there's a lot of uh, culture these days. It's, you know, that it, you know, the 80s are huge. I think part of it's just that. I feel like it's because the 80s children are now the ones who are writing these, directing these. Yeah. They're in that role. They're kind of taking over the your generation starts doing the most writing or whatever and the others start fading out. I mean, it's not... Well, I know, but in the context of the film, like with demons and... You're saying I, it could be said at any time, really. Yeah, it doesn't I really, just don't, yeah. there wasn't really any... There, there wasn't pop culture references because yeah. they weren't even real. They only really they dress... They don't so look particularly dressed like... I'm just curious. The, well, it's there not, was the goblin. I know it's made up. <laughs> It's not, you know, they didn't show a real, like, craft commercial from the 80s that makes you feel nostalgic. You're like, what the fuck is that? Where do I get a cheddar goblin? But um, yeah, just interesting choice. But so we learned that uh, Nick Cage is... Did they ever say his name or we just happened to see it, like, at the end? His name's Red Miller. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, ever, I don't think I don't think do. Mandy's ever like, hey, Red, welcome home. <laughs> no, I don't even think he ever called her Mandy. So we learned that... <laughs> His character is sober because he's offered a beer and a helicopter and solemnly looks away. So we we get ding, ding, ding. Okay, he's sober. And then so he goes back to his girlfriend, who is played by Andrea... How do you say her name? Risenbaugh, I think. Risenbaugh? And Risenbaugh. she's done a lot of stuff lately. She's very interesting looking. So she's a, a somber character, though. I mean, it seems like they don't have a yeah. ton of fun. between. <laughs> they have long conversations about... Saturn and you have been out of there. (laughs) (laughs) She, well, I mean, I also didn't really care that they tried to give her like a personality through like her t-shirts she's wearing. 
metal t-shirts all the time. She's wearing like Motley Crue or Black yeah. Sabbath. She's reading a book that's not a real book. So it's kind of hard to know like what she works at a shop kind of. Yeah. She's a day job. It's like a cashier at a grocery um, store or something. I mean, I guess she's a nice person, but I didn't really have anything invested in, in Mandy. I didn't want her to be burned to death necessarily, but I also... <laughs> yeah, you still don't really know. I can't tell you, like, if someone asked me, what is that character like? I'm not sure what I would say. I mean, other than Morose has a troubled past, and then that's about it, I guess. Oh, yeah, that was an interesting story. As she, told, she talked about her dad catching a bunch of baby birds. Right. Which seemed a bit outlandish to me. Like, so he brought a bunch of baby birds and made all the kids kill one? Well, it yeah. seemed like they, um, I think the story was they found maybe the nest and it brought them some sort of pleasure, you know, for the kids. And the dad decided that that was maybe bad somehow and ended up showing them how to kill them instead. There's some metaphor there, yeah. That's going to be good. That goes with my true crime. So you guys need to make sure that you stick with us next week to see what I talk about. But yeah, so the, the first opening section of the movie is just their relationship, uh, Red, Nick Cage, and Mandy. Just, I guess they live by themselves in a cabin. They're kind of removed from civilization, it seems. They don't really explain why, but it's they have a pretty cool house, though. It's, you know, it's, well, it's all windows, it seems. Like, when they show yeah. them laying in bed, it looks like, are they on the porch? And they, no, they're, that's just all their windows. So it's, it's a bunch of different shaped windows. And right. So it's almost like they're living in the woods more than they even are, like they're actually outside or something, which is kind of, you know, as a set, it's, I thought it was pretty cool if it is a set. I don't know. Um, and then the way it's shot, it's, you know, super, um, it always feels like they're just almost literally laying outside you know when they're even when they're in their bed which is kind of a, a cool touch i thought yeah yeah that's true um but nick cage doesn't say much the first half of the movie which is and he's not even in it a ton it's mostly more about her yeah um, and devil biker gangs <laughs> right but from her point of view i guess you know she's the one no well, of course she's the one that's kidnapped but so she's you know kind of the main in a way the main character for the first half i mean if, would, would you agree i mean Yes, for sure. Yeah, kind of like a gently psycho situation. Of course, you know it's called Mandy. I mean, we know it's a Nick Cage movie and he's on the cover, so you know at some point. <laughs> well, she's actually the main star up until Mandy pops up right. on the screen and then Nick Cage actually takes over oh, at that point. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But she's obsessed with other planets. She's an artist and uh, she's maybe... It just it seems like a lot of... They're just kind of throwing a lot of stuff. Like, let's make her interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of slow slow scenes and the first hour is of her it feels in like the water too. of her face and i think it just kind of reminded me of like sergeant pepper the album you know like the you have a day in the life which ends with that crazy crescendo right, right. and still every time i've heard it a hundred times and every time i hear it it still makes me uncomfortable it's like you know it gets to the point where it's like gotta stop but if every song on sergeant pepper did that it wouldn't be listenable so that's why I kind of was thinking, like, there could be a couple of those scenes, but there was just about 70 instead of, you know, placing them a little different, which it's his choice as a director. And maybe some people like that, but to me, it just made the movie feel so much longer. It did do that to me, but somehow simultaneously, it, it drew me in. Maybe because I was just waiting to see what was going to happen next, but there's something undeniable about the way that it's shot is it just it's like it's like you said it when it sucks you in i mean you're in in it 
but there's just not really a lot there. Yeah. Except that it looks cool. I'll say, I mean, I, I kind of agree. Like I thought it was hypnotic and like the first time we watched it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, it was, like I said, it was very immersive for good and bad. I thought it was like a pulling immersive. But then the second time when we kind of had on, I, I did a couple wow, these scenes are really long. And so I, I kind of, I, yeah, I agree with both of you in a way. Like, like it worked for me the first time. I'm not sure I, if I watched again, it would be, I think I may get like impatient. But because I just knew right. nothing about the movie, it did sort of, um, especially I can imagine a lot of people, the comments I were reading online were, it's a great movie to see in the theater. Oh, so yeah. I bet that would have been um, kind of amazing with all oh, yeah. the colors and the, but there are a lot of scenes that are, I mean, the whole movie feels like it's in slow motion at some point. Right. Which makes it feel mm-hmm. longer, which yeah. is not something you really want. Which usually irritates the hell out of me. Like, uh, but maybe that's just more in the sort of action movie context when there's these all these slow motion scenes. There's a certain tone that it has um, that I that he's they're kind of playing the same sandbox is all I can say. Ari Oster is a much you know he's a match he's a he's the best. Yeah, we're gonna stipulate to that. Um, this is something Ari Oster made when he was in third grade. Yeah, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to have a film festival of like movies of a certain type, you could have Ari Oster movies and this in the same festival. It's kind of all I mean, and it, it wouldn't be incongruous. It's the, I, it's the same think, as far as the way that it draws you in. But I think the director that we saw the most, especially in the first half, was Quentin Tarantino. I think we kept mentioning it looked a lot like a Quentin Tarantino scene, or like he tried to do a dialogue type scene, but it just wasn't. Didn't have that same depth. He obviously was a huge influence. But that is that is another reason that I kind of this is why I do I go back and forth on it is because if you look at the acting and the dialogue as oh this is something missing. Then and it's just a slow movie that looks cool, and certain scenes are awesome, like the way they're shot. But the movie overall is not as good. But if you look at the acting and dialogue as unintentional humor, that's what then it adds what, a whole other thing that's hysterical. I mean, I think if you cast Nick Cage in that role, you must be knowing, you must know what you're kind of getting into. <laughs> right. That's why I wonder how much of it he wants to be serious. This kind of goes back to Dave, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, like when Dave is trying to be really serious about his album that he named Penis mm-hmm. and everybody laughs and he's like, it's not supposed to be funny. Like, I wonder like what level of, of that yeah. the director was. I mean, you could watch it as a satire of these type of revenge films. Like it's so over the top. Yeah. Uh, and you, you kind of realize that the whole turning point in the movie is Mandy laughing at the guy, the, the main, uh, the main uh, what's his name? At well, I Jeremiah. Think Jeremiah. Jeremiah. The main cult leader. Right. But it's just, you know, when you realize that the pivot in the movie it happens because she, uh, Mandy emasculates this character, which we'll talk about. Um, I mean, that's interesting. I feel like yeah. there's something to yeah. that. Uh, I mean, that, that's one of the most intense scenes and there's no violence in it. Yeah. Well, like you had also mentioned, I'd forgotten that she seemed to have had a troubled past because she does have a scar on her face that's not just explained either. Right. Mm-hmm. So I guess there's something there. But again, it just also kind of seems like something else they put. I mean, I guess there's supposed to be this reason they're both kind of away from the world and it's never quite explained, but they both seem broken in some form. Well, there's form. some dream sequence where she finds like a dead fawn. Oh, was that a dream? I couldn't. I thought that was real. I don't know. That's what I wasn't sure about because she starts out in the woods and it's normal and then it turns to that red again. It seemed like a dream sequence. It could have been happening. That's something else that I do think was cool about the movie is that they don't try to make it seem like it's in the real world. All of it seems like it's on a set. So that was kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, and then towards the end, you know, they start showing the the animation comes in and it starts looking like you're on another planet. Yeah. For some reason, it case yeah. dreams and cartoons. Right. <laughs> yeah. Sounds pretty cool. <laughs> Did you ever see that Adult Swim short, Too Many Cooks? 
No. It's absolutely insane. It will blow your mind. It, it, it's t- They say, like, too many cooks, and they sing this song over and over again, like the intro to a sitcom, but every time it gets crazier and crazier. And so, anyway, the guy who directed that was the same guy who directed the Cheddar Goblin commercial, which makes me love it even more. Yeah. Which I oh, don't wow. think I've ever laughed that hard yeah, I will. at anything. <laughs> so, that was worth it. I'd watch Mandy seven more times if I could just watch the Cheddar Goblin again. When he's vomiting the cheddar. <laughs> All over the kids' <laughs> the heads. Well, the funniest thing about the commercial is, you know, is the first 20 minutes, 20 seconds of it, you thought, oh, I wonder if this is like a real 80s commercial. And then you're like, oh, I guess not. <laughs> well, also, that was, that there was so many things that were a reference to other horror movies so he has to have some kind of humor in well and it you know it can't and, and the timing of it the timing the of it is, is they live near crystal lake we talked about how it looked like a lot of the people in it kind of seemed like they were from another horror movie like there's obviously a pinhead type character there's a, a malachi yeah so uh, I mean, the guy from predator and it is the guy. From it Predator. is literally, yeah. literally. When the I guy. said, "Oh, the first person of color to show up," and, and Casey said, "No, there was the kid in the Cheddar Goblin commercial." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Oh, you're right. That's great representation." <laughs> well, so it looks like a, there's a cult that lives right. in the town or wherever they are. Oh, so sorry. Well, I was going to say the timing of the Cheddar Goblin is fantastic because it's right after she got burnt and he and he ripped his arm. I mean, this is the first thing he sees after the main horrific event of the movie is he yeah. walks in the house and the Cheddar Goblin pops up. That, I mean, it's perfect timing. And I love the fact that they did the stats on the Cheddar Goblins. Right. Uh, we had to rewind it to see cheese. how much more cheese it had. It had 60% more cheese than the regular. I could talk about the Cheddar Goblin probably in another hour. but we I just I'll, have one episode about Cheddar Goblin. <laughs> is there a Cheddar Goblin true crime that we can do? <laughs> I don't know what my favorite image is. If it's the Cheddar Goblin vomiting the cheese over the kids, or if it's the Cheddar Goblin slowly arising on the back of <laughs> yeah. like like a Martin Sheen in Apocalypse. Now. <laughs> I know it's so hard to choose. <laughs> and he's smiling. <laughs> uh, I think we all literally fell off our chairs when that happened. But anyway. Oh yeah. So the first part is oh, called- in the in the score, it's got those you know electronic sounds oh, like from yeah. the '80s as well. Yeah, kind of John Carpenter. Um. Yeah, so it was Johan Johansson who did this. This was his last score he did before he died. So it's definitely got a great music, and it's I mean they don't try to hide that they want it to be heavy metal movie, and they put the heavy metal music in there. Now I love this movie. Can you believe it? <laughs> it is funny. absolutely metal <laughs> for sure. I, I mean, yeah, I I really like the movie. Um, Either way, I mean, I, I tend to, I think we maybe have agreed talking about it before we've done the podcast that, that we're not sure whether it's more like, is this more style or the substance or is there actually something to this? Either I one is kind of fine. What we have to, or what I have to accept is that it is style over substance and then I have to accept that. Then that's fine. I'm not going to keep looking. This isn't Hamilton where every line took him six months to write and every yes. line means something more or does it <laughs> i mean i'm not <laughs> no but that's the conundrum of this right. movie is you don't know that's and why I thought either one is fine either one is fine i mean um and then if you take the substance and you admit that there is no substance but you take it as unintentional humor it adds more to the movie like yeah some of, some of the yeah. it reminds me of like when you think of keanu reeves most of my friends were joking about Keanu Reeves. It's when he goes, I am an FBI agent. And that's <laughs> the funniest thing in the whole movie. And he's trying to be like, that's his like super serious moment in the movie. And it's hysterical, but it's not supposed to be. And so that's kind of yeah. how I look at yeah, this. Yeah. 
Yeah, the other one that we always used to talk about was when uh, Dawson in Varsity Blues goes, I don't want your life. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's hysterical. And that's yeah. like his big, serious, dramatic you know, part in the movie, and it's so funny. Speaking of, The Devil's Advocate is on Netflix. Oh, is it? And, uh, which I haven't seen since I'm sure it came out. Watching that as a lawyer now, um, that movie is phenomenal. And <laughs> Keanu Reeves' accent, uh, it may be one of Keanu Reeves' best performance, actually. Yeah. I mean that with all sincerity. Yeah, yeah. But his accent, that he goes full tilt, southern caricature. Um, <laughs> Al Pacino just hamming it up. <laughs> Uh, it's a great movie, and, and the stuff about uh, even the stuff about where Keanu's in court, it is so adorable. Like, I mean, it makes. I uh, was thinking about that. Charlize to is watch in it too. That, She's yeah. his wife. Right? I think yeah. that's one of her first movies over here. Yeah. I was trying to remember that. It's that's a fantastic, so fantastic movie. I mean, anyway, but, well, I guess we should talk about Mandy some more. All right, so the first part of the movie is called Shadows of the Mountains, and then the second part of the movie is called Children of the New Dawn, which I guess is the name of the cult. I believe so. Yeah. And so the cult leader sees. Mandy walking on the road. Again, they didn't try to make it look like it was the actual woods. It looks like a set, which is... Yeah, everything turns red. Yeah, and he decides that he wants her because she's wearing a Black Sabbath shirt. I don't know, but he decides he wants her, and so he sends his minions. He has a little Smithers-type person to help him. And immediately, I was like, well, that's a Charles Manson-type person. They don't try to hide that. I think that's pretty clear. Even the scene where the girls are kind of hanging around the house yeah, watching TV remind me of the scene from Once Upon a Time oh, where they're yeah. showing the, Dakota you know... Fanning. Right. Also, he at one point says something about pigs, which is something yeah. that Manson always talked about. And then, of course, the main big climax we talked about is he has an album, which is pretty much what, Charles, what drove Charles Manson so crazy is that he wanted to be famous. Yeah, this seems like a very overcomplicated way to kidnap her. But. Well, so they have to... Yeah, they could just kidnap her, but first they summon the devil biker gang so it's two separate the colt and the biker gang are separate right. but so they have a chemist who makes gooey drugs he makes he makes lsd okay. it's lsd yeah but it's and a he big... sells it to the colt and then the colt trades it to the biker gang to be their muscle those guys the biker gang is the one that the chemist he he mixed a bad batch for them because that's what the the predator oh, right. guy says. Yeah. says, and so they're all screwed up. They're out of their minds. Yeah, yeah but when they first show up, you don't know any of that. You just know that that they are summoned by the guy well, blowing they, and the they horn. summon them with like a little wooden instrument, right. mm-hmm. and then they, and they show up. Yeah, and see, I love very, that. I don't know why, but I, when he starts blowing that horn in the woods, I think it's really cool. Yeah, and then when they when they arrive, it's we all we all thought the same thing. Are these guys have superpowers? Are these guys like? Where are like they? Where they, from where they come from? Are they demons or something? And then they're just druggy guys dressed yeah. in. But when you watch it the outfits. first time, you know when you're you, when you just don't know what the movie's about. I totally thought, okay, well they're obviously otherworldly creatures like Lovecraft type vibe going on or Hellraiser. Mm-hmm. But then when you watch it, you know, knowing the story about how they're created or whatever, like oh they're, you, they're yeah you can kind of tell they're just kind of people that are that have. Uh, so are they just people or is that still like kind of you're supposed to be, think that that's up for debate? Well, I, I guess that's true, but I guess once that once that's because is that why he had to make that particular weapon, or was it just because he wanted to forge something? I think he just wanted to forge something. <laughs> I, I think I think it goes back to the '80s where it could be Conan sword was a big symbol yeah. back then. I but I also think that honestly that that's part of the satire of it is like. 
of course he he forges this weapon like he's you know in a Arthurian without a sort doubt of movie. I also and they're sort of undercutting that later because he just stops using it after like the second time. Right. <laughs> you don't even need it. Well, I also at one point wrote in my notes that this looks like a Christopher Guest movie, and at first I didn't know what that meant when I wrote it, but now I'm thinking back, it seems what we're talking about how it might be like a satire, and it does kind of seem like a Christopher Guest movie about a, a, a cult. It's kind of everybody kind of has a part that yeah. they play. It seems like it. Maybe it's funny or maybe it's not. Maybe it's like because the Christopher Guest movies are hilarious, but if you didn't understand what you were watching, you might not get it. So I wonder if you rewatched it with the idea that it is a satire. Maybe it would. Well, that's what I did. Different. That's what I did on my on my on my second mm-hmm. one. I watched it more, and I almost feel like it is because at the very end, I feel like that when when it shows. Uh, Nick Cage in the car and he's smiling at the camera I feel like that's the acknowledgement of it oh, is a satire that's interesting because yeah. yeah. it's the very last scene yeah. and the first scene he's like all mad looking at it and that's kind of sums up the movie because you're like this is this a serious like drama yeah. movie and then the next one he's looking over and he's got that <laughs> silly smile and you're like no it's a satire and even at the end they're giving you two opposing images and, and that's when you walk away from the movie like I don't know if I like this or not <laughs> Yeah. I may be using the word satire wrong. I'm trying to figure that out. I mean, it's not like it's like maliciously making fun of all these tropes or whatever, but I think it's like, you know, it's winking at all of them. How about that? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think it loves, I mean, the movie obviously loves all these movies and, um, but. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, but I do think that there's, you know, particularly the whole sort of macho angle of it is supposed to be just ridiculous, I would guess, especially after we see what happens to the, the cult leader and everything after that is sort of just look how ridiculous all these men are. <laughs> Maybe. Well, it's also very much a superhero thing that happens. A superhero has to have an origin story. Oh, right. This guy's origin story, his wife is or his girlfriend's burdened in front of him. And Nick Cage also loves comic books and loves superheroes. He took his name from Luke Cage. He named his uh, kid Jell El. You know, oh, right, from right. Superman. Um, so I'm sure that really appealed to him. They're like, hey, I get an origin story and then I get to go off and get my revenge. It's sort of man on fire. I mean, even the thing says that you have a death wish. Luckily, gets that pipe loose. They end up capturing Mandy and they, then he does his whole song and dance for her. They put LSD in her eye, which is also something that Manson would do. Yeah, that whole scene is the most explicitly Manson. I mean, yes. not not the scorpion bug thing, or whatever, but right. just the whole sort of domestic setting with all the people lying around and yeah. where he tries to um, really give Mandy his spiel. I'm talking about Jeremiah, Jeremiah, the cult leader. His pitch. Yeah, basically gives him his pitch about why she should join his cult and be, I guess, his third wife, whatever. Right. And, uh, and I do like how you uh, kind of assume, like I thought, okay, well, Maybe the rest of the movie is going to be Mandy uh, following for this and being uh, indoctrinating the cult, and maybe Nick Cage is going to save her. I thought that's kind of where they were right, going. Right. Um, they did not do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's when he plays his song on the album, and he talks about the Carpenters, yeah. who are his major influence. <laughs> Chris then, said, that's not the Carpenters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, instantly nailed it. Uh, and then he gives his big pitch, and then he's that's when the, the male nudity comes in. Oh, and, yeah. And he's and then, expecting her to be, okay, I, I'm in. And then... Yeah, look at this wang. And she's just like... <laughs> and then she laughs. Well, that was... That's we can make beautiful music together. What is that quote about, like, that someone did a study and said, like, men's biggest fear is that women will laugh at them, hmm. and women's biggest fear is that men will kill them? 
I mean, maybe this is just me, but the way it's shot, isn't he sort of also pleasuring himself when she slaps? Yes. Okay. Yes. Because he enjoys it at the same time. Yeah. You know, he likes the pain. Um, right. I mean, there's definitely some movement going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> definitely some movement. Yeah. yeah. Some like jerking what, around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. got the... <laughs> <laughs> And so they leave Nick Cage tied up with barbed wire, which I thought was creepy. Barbed wire always freaks me out. The idea that you can get caught in your skin and rip you up. And then he has to watch Mandy be burned alive. In slow motion, apparently. <laughs> Everything has to be in slow motion. Yeah, that was a pretty, that's a pretty shocking scene. Um, but you're right. You don't really know anything about her. You're not... I mean, I, mean, I, I don't want to see anybody... I mean, I, I guess that's good, though, in a way, because you can tolerate it. Maybe if you were very invested in that in that girl, yeah, yeah, and, and, it's not a and even though you're scene. totally enthralled, you're yeah. you got one foot out the door to bail on it right. at the same time. I mean, everything is is a conundrum in this movie. But then, so they know. stab him. I guess leave him to die. But he rips himself out and goes to her body, which is already dust. Oh, I didn't, I interrupted you, but uh, when he does look in the mirror, that is a funny scene. When I and then I said that. So what is he saying? He's saying, tell me what to do. 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 He's looking in the mirror. Satan himself, or he's talking to himself. When I first watched, I thought he was talking to Satan because I thought there was a supernatural aspect to it. But then I think, yeah, I think he's just talking to himself. It's like a what's that guy from Saturday Night Live? You know, Louis. Oh right, Stewart. Stewart. (laughs) Stewart. Yeah, I'm good enough. I'm (laughs) smart enough. And doggone it, I'm gonna burn that girl. And that's what he. That, so I made the joke. That how I, that's how I start my day every morning. I look in the mirror and go, "Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do." <laughs> yeah. Well, he, well, he says something to Nick Cage about how Jesus should have sent a sacrifice instead of himself, which I think was a very selfish thing to say. So he's saying like, "I'm Jesus, but I'm not going to sacrifice myself. I'm going to sacrifice other people," which I thought was kind of an interesting concept because he also at one point they have to sacrifice the chubby guy the jonah hill type looking character which i didn't quite understand oh that. he's part of the uh the deal to get them to get the muscle to, to i do also it. still understand why just anybody couldn't have kidnapped her she's walking down the road they could have just grabbed her right there right yeah i guess they don't well i mean it's like i think it's because they're too they're too trashed to do it themselves they're too wasted yeah i mean they do show up at the house at the same time that they're being kidnapped so, i mean they're there anyway but that, that scene is cool too i must say like when it's flashing on and off when they're when they're uh, when they come in and Mandy and Nick are sleeping, the light is like flickering on and off. And Which so is also kind of like the Golden light, State Killer. Go, dark. Yeah. Coming in when they're sleeping and yeah, flashing and a light on. Yeah, and him. he's got a, He's got. I mean, Nick Cage wakes up with the guy that looks like Pinhead. I mean, imagine being woken up and some somebody dressed like that is grabbing you by the jaw. And that's the first thing you see. Yeah, that's Golden State Killer. That's what and you the do. People, that's why you'd wake them up like that. As each flash goes, the people start filing in the room, and it's like, boom, a head pops up in the background. Boom, a head pops up in the background. Then it goes black. That's the one thing about the movies. Visually, I'd say it's worth watching just because you get to see some cool things. Oh, when she's tripping on the drugs and the eyes, the faces start to become. So the guy, Jeremiah, is talking to Mandy, and it's, his head and his face and then it becomes her face and then it goes back to his face and then it shows her and it shows his face on her and then back to her face and it's done so seamlessly that you have to you have to blink for a second to go wait a minute the face just changed yeah i think i actually screamed what's happening to her face (laughs) yeah it's like when you first saw that black or white video the michael jackson video how'd they do that (laughs) so then we have the what i assume nick cage submitted to the oscar committee 
whenever he goes into the bathroom, which again looks like a set. Yeah. And the wallpaper looks very shining. Then, but then again, it is the '80s, so that would be accurate wallpaper. And he finds a bottle that he'd hidden, I guess, and he starts chugging it and screaming and pouring it on his wounds. It's pretty intense. He starts raging and then crying. He's good at it. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's definitely uh, over the top, but I, I'm sure that was again. What, what did he win? The Chainsaw Awards. Yeah, thank you, Warrior Chainsaw. So well deserved. So then he decides he's going to get revenge, and he goes to visit a guy in a trailer who's Carruthers, who's the guy from Predator. There's not a backstory, but for some reason he's kept his crossbow, which has a name, right? It could just be, again, like the 80s genre where the guy who would, I mean, even like in John Wick, he doesn't have to go to a guy to get it, but he's got to take a sledgehammer to his concrete, the concrete in his garage to get back to his weapons. I think it's just like an ode to, yeah, yeah. you got to go load up. 007's got to go get his, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm back in the and game. So his, yeah. I need my stuff back. His quest has begun. Yeah. yeah. And I guess we don't know why, what his backstory is. I mean, it seems like they used to somehow serve together in some vague well, so this is the 80s, so it could have been Vietnam. I forgot about that. Yeah, so that okay. would fit. So he gets his crossbow back, and then we get like some explanation from Carruthers about these people and that yeah, they've so the been bad given a bad LSD batch or something and... about the darkness. There's some information given. And then Nick Cage goes and forges his own weapon, right. as you do, <laughs> and he's off. And he shoots one of the guys on the ATVs, but then he gets caught. Like some, like he he crashes his car because he tries to run it. That's another reason that maybe these people aren't humans because you know he he runs his car into one of the guys and then he wrecks his car. Like he hit a rhino or something. His car flips. Yeah, the so, guy was covered in like full armor, and it it looked like yeah, but it still knocked you off your feet though, and it didn't. It like it, he hit it and and bounced off, and so he gets caught. He's uh, attached to a pipe that we had said and then he happens to get the pipe out which is that's, that's in a lot of movies that's mm-hmm. a, a scene where they get out of their handcuffs and they attack the guy there was one guy who was all slippery like <laughs> he was in like some sort of like slick suit he kind of reminded me like in the in Watchmen. there's that one guy who squirts stuff all over him so he can slide into the gutters <laughs> but it kind of reminded me of that and then he finds the other guy watching the 80s porn oh yeah with mm-hmm. the knife penis which Remind me of Seven. Yeah. You know, yeah. which is pretty... Because it's got blood on it. Oh. There's a body down there, too. Like, he's actively cutting on something, I thought. Oh. Also, there's a scene later where Nick Cage pops his head in, and there's a guy with blood all over his butt. Remember? I didn't even think about that. It's probably mm-hmm. because he... Oh, God. There was two dead people in there. Yeah. And it's probably that guy, because it was right that next door. Yeah. So, maybe, like, those devil people are coming in, and they're kind of taking over the cult. Maybe they conjured up more than they could handle you know yeah i I completely missed that but now i'm upset (laughs) sorry (laughs) that demon takes a big spoonful of cocaine i guess and then they fight a little bit and then nick cage kills him and then nick cage gets a big (laughs) handful of cocaine there's no way that it's not meant to be somehow yeah it reminded me of remind me of the scene of scarface where he just yeah. snorts the, the desk you know yeah it's huge and then he drinks the then he finds a bottle of lsd and takes that on top of it oh he is totally <laughs> off the wagon yeah he is going to town he he finds it in the kitchen and just takes a 
bite of it or like well, lick of it. His hallucination that he has is, is hilarious because it reminded me of, you ever watch the show Strangers of the Candy with Amy Sedaris? Yes. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of the scene where someone just asked her like, you know, what she's thinking of and there's just like flashback to they just like burning skulls and stuff. It's like, oh, nothing. And, <laughs> but, but. <laughs> he fights the last of the sort of super crazy dudes. Well, yeah, he throws his axe and hits the Malachi guy. And then, right. and then they have, well, they have, there was another fight with another guy in front of a burning car. And then he finds the guy with the giant chainsaw. With that, that also had to have meant to be humorous. Oh, yeah, but he I, gets his chainsaw. I did like when he killed the guy before that, when they're fighting in front of the burning car. And he cuts the guy's head off, lights him on fire, cuts his head off, and then lights the cigarette off of the guy's flaming yes. head. Yeah. I thought that yeah. was a cool scene. And then he goes to the chainsaw battle. Yes. Which, again, it's a like you had said, that's not a chainsaw. This is a chainsaw. Everybody watched that movie in the 80s, yeah, right? right. But that's not a knife. This is a knife. Oh, yeah. That also kind of reminds me of like when you're playing a video game and you get like this really cool weapon, like which is like the weapon I guess he forged, and then you use it a couple of times, and you're like, well, this is kind of boring. Let me just use a chainsaw. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> and so I guess, and I guess he feels at home. I guess he finds that because he's a lumberjack. And then there's a whole fight sequence with chainsaws. I mean, you don't see that in anything else. No, it was cool. It was cool. And I do love mm-hmm. a good chainsaw death. He, he didn't. And it's a pretty good fight scene too. I mean, it doesn't look awkward. You know, swinging chainsaws. It seems like kind of a realistic fight. It didn't look bad. I enjoyed it. Now he's at the final church. Yeah, they have built this church that's in the middle. Well, of Well, first he goes to or? the chemist. And oh. visits the chemist, oh, right, right. and I don't understand that scene at all. Yeah, it's so that strange. Seems a bit, I, don't I don't think understand. That's also, I was confused at first. Is that Jeremiah? Because the actor looks similar. Look yeah. 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 Why did they let the tiger out? Yeah, it was very trippy. But uh, it also reminded me a little bit of Manhunter, you know, or Red Red Dragon, I guess, where the guy right, has the tiger. tiger. Yeah. What well, also reminded me of Help. I don't know if you remember. <laughs> there's a scene where a tiger gets out of the London Zoo and it's chasing Ringo. And there's a green diamond in help too, like the. There is a red ring. Oh, okay, well. But there's no tiger fight. It was kind of like, oh, okay, and then we just move on. So I don't know what the point of that was. Well, I think it's because he had to give him the exact location of the. Oh, okay. Where so they were, and he just said north. Right, and then the tiger He went all there for you know to find out, and the guy just goes north, <laughs> and then he goes on this journey where it takes it's like planes trains and automobiles he's on he's on his he's he's riding on a car and then he gets on a four-wheeler and then the four-wheeler gets stuck and then he has to walk so far that he walks until he passes out and falls asleep and then he wakes up and then he walks down into this church and he has to go down into the hole and he has to walk down these tunnels i mean it's a long sequence between did you watch the movie onward yes so good isn't it we loved it and it's it's all about going on a journey and it's got all the tropes of what you do when you go on a journey and it's just the way they describe it is so good and that's pretty much what he's doing that whole second half of the movie it's either a parody of or just straight up sort of the arthurian quest type right, you know, the forging right. you know and i guess it, him going to see the chemist in a way is kind of like when Luke Skywalker goes and meets Yoda. He's like the sort of wizened old figure that helps him with his quests. Yeah, I guess there's um, got to yeah. be somebody who kind of helps him. Oh, also, I thought, you know, me being a big Evil Dead fan, it involves him with a chainsaw, like Evil Dead. Yeah. And then when he kills the guy with the knife uh, cock, the blood 
comes out of a guy's neck and shoots oh, all over yeah, his face. Yeah. And then the rest of the movie, his face is red. And that reminds me of Bruce Campbell. And yeah, he's yeah. just covered in blood the rest of the way. And so when he finally gets to the temple and he knows that Jeremiah is in there and Jeremiah sends out the old lady to try to seduce him. But that, that would have been funny if he had just been like, you know what? All right. <laughs> Let's give this a shot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bruce Campbell would have done that. Yeah. I was thinking like maybe the some that might work on some guys actually, you know, that might be like, oh, that sounds easier. Yeah. Let's just go do that. But it doesn't work. He cuts her head off again and kicks it into <laughs> the temple, which another funny scene when it rolls in there and he goes, ah! Oh, gosh. Yes. <laughs> and I guess this also kind of shows that this cult leader seems like he's like the devil, but he's just a guy and he all of a sudden starts cowering and starts begging for his life and he's pretty pathetic and then Nick Cage crushes his head with his hands which we were wondering if anyone can let us know is that physically possible can you if you're not the mountain from Game of Thrones or Shaquille O'Neal yeah can you actually have enough pressure on someone's head to do that that would be interesting to know throughout the whole movie I and mean, when it starts out it's in, it seems more like down to earth everything's real the colors are different and they're everything's green it's normal and then as the movie goes it seems like it gets more and more into fantasy yeah. colors start changing oh, oh yeah. now chris, the worlds chris are different loves colors in theory in movies <laughs> well yeah there's just too much for me to work with in this one <laughs> there's too many colors but it does like it, it, you can almost see this idea that the whole last half of the movie takes place in this like weird alternate universe that's like you can't even access except for nick cage <laughs> did y'all see annihilation with natalie portman yes yeah so the whole i mean that last half of the movie almost looks like it could take place inside the ether or whatever it is. Like yeah, a, yeah. Just slightly removed from, well, wholly removed from reality. Um, nothing quite makes sense. Everything's emerged in the, or submerged like in fog or uh, so. That, or a tunnel, an actual underground right. tunnel or they're in the church. The There's a weird, small environment. Yeah, they're already like in this weird valley to begin with, uh, I guess, in the shadow mountains. <laughs> also like the transition um, when he's burning the church, how the fire, it starts as a burning the church starts to burn and then the whole screen becomes fire and there's all these like things going on through the fire that it almost looks like those paintings that you have to like stare at and then you see a boat pop out because there's just fire going up and everything and there's all these things in the background and then it just transitions to the next scene through yeah. the fire i thought those those scenes were really cool back to Ari Aster, i mean that scene at the end of the temple burning and then crumbling is a lot like midsummer yeah it's the same image but i don't just no real emotional impact i mean at some point all the images like in the last half of the movie they they kind of maybe amount to just like a series of really cool like album covers (laughs) yeah Yeah, that might be what he's going for you know it's a heavy metal 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 probably why people say it's so metal but yeah like oh like you know the cross burning with the church like is it like a a pink floyd cover (laughs) Um, i mean it's, it's all very cool um so any final thoughts on mandy I think we've all kind of turned... I definitely have turned around talking about it. Yeah. And I think it's... I'll say, I mean, I really, really was into it the first time. I mean, it's completely immersive, like like I said. I mean, and uh, it just really sucks you in. I love all the... I love the style of it. I don't know that it maybe holds up on repeat viewing. <laughs> right. Is my concern. But I, I want to see it again, because I'm sure there's a lot of mist. And I mean, it may be... I mean, I suspect that maybe there is maybe less to it than maybe I'm giving it credit for. Maybe in a year we do a Mandy revisited episode yeah. and we watch it again and then see if anything's changed. I'm going to need a year at least. <laughs> yeah. Because I've seen it already a lot. But I can see how it's a cult movie and has a rabid you know fan base. Like, I, I get all that. I can see how, like, you know... Uh, well, I would recommend it if you just like watching movies and for two hours you want to go into a trippy world and see some things that are yeah. visually stunning, then it's it's worth one watch. 
either way. And then if you if it gets you into and you want to dig deeper, because there's definitely room to create things and project things and think, what does this mean? I mean, he's got a jersey on number 44. We saw a thousand different like <laughs> yeah, uh, that's true. theories on what the 44 yeah, stands What does for? a tiger mean? Why does he have a shirt with a tiger? And then there's a tiger later. And then I guess I almost apologize because I feel like we don't have a, I mean, I don't for one have a ton to say about it because I just haven't really digested. And there just may not be a whole lot to talk about, but <laughs> so I'm afraid that there's some, you know, Mandy... I'm not sure what kind of fans this movie has, but I imagine they're pretty tense. So just don't come for us because I'm sorry, this is not that episode. Yes, but also, you know, write into us, let us know. I liked it. Yes. <laughs> I just, when we were reading the reviews, uh, it was either loved it, fantastic movie, or terrible. There was no, it's okay. It was either a love or hate type of movie. And it made me wonder do all the people who love it, are they on drugs? And all the people who hate it, are they not on drugs? <laughs> I do think it'd be but cool to see. The reviews were good. Yeah. They, well, I it do think like it'd be 91%. really cool to see at a theater. I, I think that'd be a lot of fun. And it has its own rhythms to it. And it's definitely an Also, if, if you're a fan of Nick Cage and you like him when he gets super goofy and over the top. And who doesn't? That's enjoyable. <laughs> oh, yes. So, so, yeah, if you like horror and you like Nick Cage, I think I don't think that you'll regret watching I think the 44 is Jim Brown, by the way. Okay. <laughs> we'll write all of our theories down and we'll do a Manny Revisited. But and so until then, tune in next week because I'm going to have a true crime that I chose sight unseen, but I think it fits pretty well. So make sure you tune in for that. Casey, thanks for coming. Thanks for recommending the movie. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a fantastic time. All right, let's go watch Mandy again. <laughs> Bye. Good night.